One of the things that I really hate about the PMDD, and I'm experiencing it right now, and I don't, you can probably hear my voice and maybe if I share some of the video, you'll see me, but I don't feel fully engaged with myself. And it's almost this feeling of disassociation or anhedonia, where you disconnect from pleasure and feeling. And for me, how I best describe it is you're almost disassociating or disconnecting from your passion, your drive, your va-va-boom, the thing that gets you up. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Mother Mask. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection. Because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. This is so, so hard. You know, I've been trying to record this episode for what feels like a year, but that is not true. It's been a week. And now I'm on like day three or four of attempting to get my words out of my mouth into the microphone so that they can come into your ears. And it's hard. It's hard to show up when you don't feel like it. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what I am doing. Own it. That is what I'm doing this week. Showing up when you don't feel like it. And I hope that by sharing this, that it will validate how you're feeling or you can feel. And maybe it will give you some insights, but I'm not trying to teach you or tell you anything here. I just want to share. When I launched the podcast, I committed to myself that I would release an episode each week. And as well as helping you and being of service to you, I really wanted this to be a journal of my own growth, a documentation of my journey and something that I could leave as a legacy to Bonnie. And that means a lot. And a big part of that is showing up even when you don't feel like it. And I do not mean if your leg is hanging off or you've had a bad accident or you really don't feel well or your family need you or something else has come up. We have to honor our priorities and needs. Absolutely. But it's showing up when you don't feel like showing up. And that's what I'm going to do this week because how many of us have to show up on days and that's showing up in motherhood showing up for our partners our friends 
um, for ourselves when we don't feel like it. So I'm going to dedicate this episode to myself, Annie, on the 26th, the 7th, 2022 at 12 o'clock. The time is irrelevant, but it's it's on my laptop. And hopefully I will listen back to this in some months to come and either cringe or be like, yeah, you go, girl, you did it. So let me give you some context. It is my memory's really bad today. I've got a very foggy brain thinking because it's day 25 of my menstrual cycle. So I'm very much in the forest, the depths of the forest of the luteal phase. And it does feel like the Amazonian forest. Like I almost have to come through the forest of my insides and my mind to get to my life. <laughs> um, and I tried to record this on Saturday, which was day 22. And honestly, I'm telling the truth here. I sat at my laptop for nearly five hours, just pressing play, stop, or record, stop. And I've got a lot of outtakes. So there's a real positive at that. One of it is trying to, one of them is trying to chase a fly around the house with a can of a hairspray because it kept trying to sit on my head. So (laughs) I'm sure at some point that will be released. But I just feel like I've wasted so much time trying to do this. But I know that that's not true. So we're going to get to the end together with this. So day 22 is a significant shift in terms of hormones. And what I, I will just touch on the PMDD, but this is very much from my experience and what I know about my understanding and how I feel and the research that I've done. And that's growing all the time. And another episode, we will go into it in more depth. Um, where I can share the tests that I've done and what I've found and some of the things that have really proven to help because there has been a massive progress. You know, a couple of rocky days compared to a roller coaster of two weeks is very different. And although I'm still riding the roller coaster, I have my seatbelt on. So I feel like the, the ups and downs are less severe and that I'm moving forward, I'm not looping around historic patterns. So day 20, with PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, if you've heard previous episodes, you would have heard me touch on it. And this is something that, oh my God, I didn't know until I was in my 30s, which I'm still just in, by the way. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Come on, 40, because I just think life's going to begin. Um, I didn't know that my mood was related or connected to my hormones. I didn't find that out or changes in in mood. And that's very simplistic. There's more to it. But until my 30s, how crazy is that? I also did not know that the gut and the brain were connected until I started studying with the College of Naturopathic Medicine in 2012. Isn't it crazy that we're not taught this stuff? So I hope by sharing, even though it is very much from the messy middle and not feeling like showing up, that this can shine a light on some of these issues that go on behind the mother mask. 
it's much more about with PMDD, the fluctuations and the changes in hormones than it is the levels. So it's not a hormone imbalance. Um, there can be imbalances that are, I can, I, when I talk about my Dutch hormone tests, there's definite imbalances. But there's, it's much more about when the hormones change. And this is the interplay with the central nervous system as well. And the effect on those fluctuations on the receptor sites of so the cell receptors, which they do exactly that. They receive information to pass on the message. So that's what's happening. And if you have this, you will feel those big kind of like you are on the roller coaster, like a sudden drop in your mood. Like I can physiologically feel it. And I think what's really important to understand Although there is a huge psychological component, i.e. we feel it in our mood, we feel it in our psychology. This for me is physiologically driven. Yes, at some point, which I'll talk about a bit, there would have been the antecedents, the triggers, the things that kind of cause the nervous system or these systems to change or maladapt. And there's so many different factors in that. I am a fan of genetics. I totally believe that they load the gun. They do not fire the trigger. It's not just about genetics. But I've done a lot of testing on my genetics. And I know with my nervous system, I'm a little bit fucked. But that to me is empowerment. It's powerful because I can work on it. You can impact how your genes express by what you put in your body, including food. Food is information. This is nutrigenomics, how nutrition impacts your genes. So that's what I'm working on at the moment and have made massive headway. So sorry, I'm going a bit more into science. I didn't mean to do that, but there's many moving parts. And for me, what I know to be true is that inflammation plays a big role, especially neuroinflammation and how the body is adapted to having certain viruses, um, gut permeability and your gut microbiome, as well as nervous system regulation, previous things that may have knocked that out. So if if you are like me, you probably have a very highly sensitive system. And sensitivity tends to be a kind of theme that runs through these symptoms. Okay, so before I go off on tangent, because I'm not going to push stop, <laughs> going to keep going. One of the things that I really hate about the PMDD, and I'm experiencing it right now, and I don't, you can probably hear my voice, and maybe if I share some of the video, you'll see me, but I don't feel fully engaged with myself. And it's almost this feeling of disassociation or anhedonia, where you disconnect from pleasure and feeling and for me how I best describe it is you're almost disassociating or disconnecting from your passion your drive your va va voom the thing that gets you up so when you can show up and you feel pretty good and you feel grounded and you feel that you can navigate difficult situations you are very much connected to your drive your passion your essence of who you are your spirit and that's what I feel happens is it's not just this disconnection from the body the body feels like it's been hijacked and it's taking you on this crazy roller coaster ride but it's disconnected you from 
the essence of, of who you are and that that passion and um i am a passionate person i rely on that i have adhd which i'm coming to in a minute all these labels i'm a little bit anti-label as well um but i i find them very interesting if you start to look beneath the surface very interesting so with the adhd and i heard this from hannah gadsby sorry if i've mispronounced that She's amazing. But she described the difference between being neurotypical and neurodiverse. She said neurotypical people are all about what's important and neurodiverse are all about what's interesting. And that, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because I'm a very passionate person and I'm all in on things that I'm interested in. But if I'm not, I can zone out. Like it's like the words, they don't come in through the Amazonian forest. Um, (laughs) So when you disconnect from your passion, which is a huge part of who you are, that feels, it's like you are existing. You're almost in a bubble. And that's what it feels like to me. So you've kind of got the PMDD, which is, this undulating feeling of going through these kind of cycles and dips of despair, depression, low mood, and this kind of disassociation, along with this rumination where you get stuck in this kind of feedback loop of ruminating on all the shit stuff. Like I could do a really good monologue on of all the things that I am terrible at (laughs) and I can take my life and I can narrate it through the lens of despair and failure it's basically that and I can't shut up about it (laughs) a fun person to be around these by the way are on those kind of big shift days that happen for me um, depending on your cycle on day 22 day 27 and day six and it used to be like two weeks used to be a lot worse so let's just acknowledge the progress so you've got this going on and then you've kind of got this part so I kind of I was thinking how can I explain this and I didn't want to get stuck in kind of metaphor creativity and try and be overly clever and creative but the the thing that came to my mind was this kind of Winnie a poo Winnie a poo Winnie the poo analogy or metaphor of the characters in Winnie the Pooh and I was just thinking of two really otherwise it was just going to be too much kind of again getting distracted and reading Wikipedia all about the the characters and the breakdown of like Pooh Bear and Eeyore and (laughs) Tigger but for me like ADHD is a little bit like Tigger But when Tigger is in the woods, he's happy. So that could look like quite a happy, fun place to be. And what Tiggers do best is bounce. So when he's bouncing around, it could look quite exhausting. It could look quite energetic. But he's in his environment. And I think that is key. It's going to come up all the time and generally is happy. And he tends to repeat the same mistakes again because he likes the adventure. (laughs) So you've kind of got this Tigger. And when you're in your best self or the self that you're just embracing who you are, for me anyway, I think back to when I did the NLP Masterprac, 
both the NLP courses, but specifically the second one, the master prep, where I felt like Tigger. And coming into that, I wasn't feeling my best either, but I was in a room of people who were different, all different walks of life, but all there for a similar mission. And that was to be better so they could do better. They wanted to learn more about themselves and learn the techniques and the methods in order to help others. And they were all of service and they were so passionate and open and honest and so vulnerable. And I loved that. And I felt like Tigger for like five days times two, because it was over 10 days, but split up. And I like being that Tigger. I like being hyperactive. I like being um, bouncing around and going on adventures and, you know, looking on the brighter side of life. I'm the big kind of dreamer and vision builder and that kind of thing. And then on the other hand, but then, you know, there is a darker side to Tigger because if you were to take him out of his environment, So I sometimes imagine those characters in my head where the hyperactivity in ADHD in women is more around the mindset and the thoughts. So hyperactive thoughts rather than behavior. Yeah, I am expressive, but it's much more about these loops of overthinking. It's like you've got 20 tabs open in your brain and your thoughts are looping around. They're jumping from each one. It just doesn't stop. It's a hyperactivity of the mind, the inability to switch off. I don't think that we um, can ever fully switch off, but that would be dangerous. But that's what it feels like. So it is like taking Tigger and popping him in your head. (laughs) You kind of want him to go to sleep for a bit. And then you've got, so with with the ADHD, there is the kind of distractibility, the hyperactive mind with poor impulse control. And with that comes a kind of shiny object syndrome and thinking you need more things, you want that, you want to do that course, you want to buy that thing, Um, easily distracted and impulse. And then on the other hand, you get to this kind of shift in your hormones, specifically around day 22, and Eeyore comes in. I love donkeys, but Eeyore is fucking negative, isn't he? (laughs) Bless him. But actually, if you go on to Wiki and you don't do this, if you're like me, that's what I did. They do describe him as having this anahedonia, which is almost like this disassociation from pleasure or this disconnection from pleasure. And I read about Eeyore. So can you imagine that big switch? It can, it feels like a big shift that you can learn to harness your inner Tigger and actually love your inner Tigger. That when you're in that state, this is for me, that I'm on it, I'm switched on, I'm energized. Like it feels like you bring the electricity to the room and it's really It's fun. And then on the other hand, when the things start to shift, then it can feel like you just dip and you kind of transition, eat or takes over. And I think there you disassociate from pleasure. You disassociate from the good bits, the bits that really give you that get up and go, that drive who you are. And I read something about Eel. Apparently he doesn't like his tail, but he can't think of anything else to replace it with. (laughs) I'm going to ponder on that a bit but it's almost like you're unhappy with something but you're not willing to change and I think this just comes into that rumination where you get stuck repeating a negative narrative that isn't true he also said something along the lines of 
So he got upset that people didn't like him enough to knock his house down. There is a huge rejection element to ADHD. And the more that I'm reading into the science, it's there with the PMDD too. So if we're thinking about sensitivity and we're thinking about hypersensitivity and being highly sensitive. So I relate that I'm, I don't see this as a negative thing. Um, I relate that to intuition and being empathic and more the energetic parts of who you are. So the more spiritual parts that you've got this kind of finely tuned inner knowing and you can pick up on other people and their feelings and you can gauge situations and environments, which can be helpful. The kind of darker side of it is the hypersensitive nervous system that is also picking up on all of these things. And it's almost like life becomes a threat because the messages coming in are overstimulating and overwhelming the nervous system. So it gets stuck in this kind of sympathetic dominance, this stress on with not enough rest and digest. And if you are like me and you inhale your food, you probably inhale your life too. <laughs> how we digest our food is normally how we digest our life and vice versa. Chew your food, peeps. So rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And I said that wrong in the first episode, but I did mention it. I got the words muddled up. But this is when you're highly sensitive to rejection. So with Eeyore saying that he got upset that people didn't love him enough to knock down his house. It's almost like you will abandon your own values just to be loved and accepted. You are craving acceptance. You are craving love. And for me, you are craving to be understood. And you probably walk around permanently feeling misunderstood. So I think that is enough on Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's like having those characters inside of me. And a lot of the work that I've done so far and what I do do with um, my clients is around parts integration. This is a big part of NLP, by the way, and it's powerful and it's transformational. And I think just to acknowledge, it's not always Tigger and Eeyore. It could be your inner child or the unnurtured five-year-old in you. It could be your rebellious kind of adolescent self. It could be the mother in you. It could be the part of you that feels withdrawn, playing small, hiding away. It could be the more outgoing part. We have all of these different parts. And actually what we need to be able to do is welcome them all in, like we're all sat around a table and we need to listen. Because when we start to listen and understand their needs, we start to see commonalities and we can start to integrate them. And I'm probably at my happiest when I am integrated when I can be where these different things can coexist together. And I think that is it, that we can coexist. Um, we can feel joy. We can feel like we are thriving and showing up in our life in areas that feel really good and on it. But we can feel like failure and like we're not doing so well in other areas. And I think that is probably the paradox of maybe being a human, but definitely motherhood, 
where these different parts, these different roles, these different states can coexist together. But if we can listen to them, we can start to tune into the resources they can offer. And I think a huge part of this is self-acceptance as well. Okay, there's probably so much there that I have missed out. There was something else that I wanted to say around the PMDD. And I know I'm talking about parts of ourselves and like characters and kind of that's maybe a little bit more imaginary and spiritual. But when it comes to PMDD, obviously, we need to be supporting our physiology. We need to be nurturing the needs of our nervous system. We need to be acknowledging the signaling and the neurotransmission of the cell receptors and our cellular health. And that is something that I will go into on another episode when I'm ready to do that, because that's going to take a bit of planning, because I've done a lot of testing here. So what came back in my tests was very eye opening and surprising. No wonder I feel the way I do, is what I said to Dan. So at the end, I'm just going to share a few things that maybe we can do practically when we need to show up and we don't feel like it. And sorry, it just made me think of a time where I broke my foot and literally had to show up for Bonnie because she was a baby and I was crawling around the house trying to change her nappy. Um, (laughs) So as mums, we do lack the space and time to recuperate and recover and take that time. I think we always need to honour that and we need to find time to do that. But you know what I mean. We have to show up. We can't just elope on a, a cruise and you know, the department of parenting has closed. I am off. I'd like to do that now and again, but I think it's important to find ways of showing up. So what I just wanted to say on that is that I'm here now recording when I don't feel my best. And I could have not done this and not released an episode and not shared this, but this is really sharing from the messy middle and maybe it's not a podcast for you but maybe it's just getting up and getting through the day my old story used to be exhaustion where I just could I was too exhausted and I used to panic I didn't have the energy to get through the day I have addressed that and obviously my circumstances have changed and Bonnie sleeps better but I have done an awful lot around energy so that has been like life-changing so maybe it is for you exhaustion you are fearful of not being able to get through the day and hold it together. Maybe it is your hormones at the certain points of the month where you feel completely derailed. And this is speaking to you directly. How do I show up when I just want to fucking run into the woods and hide or have that space and time in nature or just stay in bed? Okay. So I listened to a podcast not long ago with Brené Brown and I heard her say that she never shares anything that she hasn't worked through or processed um, or that is intimate. And I have to say that this is almost the opposite of that. Um, but not quite, not quite. You know, you see people um, sharing on Facebook or certain other social media platforms from the open wounds where they're obviously just putting it out there and it's a cry for help and maybe it's not being received in the way that it deserves. On the other hand, you see a lot of people in the health and wellness industry, especially women who have changed their careers. They've gone through this big thing in their life and they want to teach people how to overcome it like they have. Um, So they're very heart-centered entrepreneurs and um 
they are led to believe through all these different marketing messages that they need to be fully healed and perfect before they can share. So I like to put this podcast and what we are doing together somewhere in the middle, that actually it's the day-to-day. It's not always the really big, exciting stories, but the day-to-day stuff coupled with our mother load and our history that we carry around that really affects how we're able to step into our life with our best energy and enjoy our life and be the parent that we want to be and have the relationships that are meaningful and connected. So that is why I am doing this, leading with vulnerability. And it makes me think of Glennon Doyle, where she said, be messy, complicated and afraid and show up anyway. And my fear was that what I just said, really, that if I start talking about this stuff that I'm suffering from, people might think I'm a fraud or that I am not an example of my work or that I'm not helpful to them. And what I know deep down, even though that is a story that I tell myself in my darker Eeyore days, is actually it's the opposite. Because when I think about who I follow online, I follow people who are real, who say it as it is, who show up, who give a shit, who are authentic, you know, they are honest and who resonate. Because as soon as you start to resonate, you feel validated. So I just want to say that because I think it's so, so important wherever you are in your journey of of doing this, that actually is the key to freedom, leading with vulnerability. And it starts with being honest with yourself first. And we're also teaching our kids not to suffer in silence. And there is a safe space that we are that safe space because we're regulated and we've been honest and we've invested in the relationship with ourselves for them to come and be open and honest about their truth and how they're feeling. And that we can hold that without feeling overwhelmed or rejected or helpless and all these other things that come up in the parenting arena. I also, because I do suffer with ADHD and PMDD, or I have those things or the symptoms, whatever, whatever we're going to, however we're going to describe it. I believe that for those that who also experience those things can look at me and be like, she's doing it. And then that gives you the permission to do it too. And what I will just also say is, and you will hear this over coming episodes, that there's a huge amount of acceptance here of how things are, but there's also a huge amount of curiosity and acceptance that things can get better. I've changed my health massively, and this is just, it feels like the beginning of a new chapter. So although I'm accepting those labels or things, I know I can improve them because I have. Where I was in December is a very different place. Where I was two, five years ago, bloody hell, very different place. So I really want to take you on this journey with me. Come on, give me a hand. We're doing this together. So there's a few more things that I just wanted to finish on, and they're not small things. Um, <laughs> but I really do want to bring something for you to the table, not just um, share my story. We know that that's impactful and that hopefully that's validating and helpful. But okay, Annie, how is it going to help me? So why? Like a toddler I always ask why, what is going on? 
And this is stepping away from the more physiological things and factors and much more into the cause, the root cause, or yes, less of the effect and more of the wider causes. Sorry, I can't get my words out for a minute. What else could be a factor in this? Mm. So we're taking a little bit of a um, observer kind of outlook here, more logical outlook. What conditions are needed for human, for mother, for us, uh, psychological and physiological maturity and health to happen and nervous system regulation? So for you to feel good, what are the conditions? So this is what I start, not started to do, I've been doing this for years. But when you're in this kind of mood and you're stuck in this state, it's hard to do this work. So the first thing, this is point number one, is reflection is going to be your best friend. Reflection is going to be your best friend. So for me, I do ask the question, why? So what what are the conditions? You know, what are the conditions that are needed for you to feel good? And then the opposite, what are the conditions for you to feel like crap like not yourself so the first one for me and I'm thinking about the PMDD and the big kind of drops in mood and what I know so far and the ADHD being disorder and PMDD having disorder on the end that we need order and how I interpret that is stability so for me one of the things that is a problem in my environment is lack of stability and trust in the world I know it sounds a bit doom and gloom but I'm a deeply feeling person. I'm sensitive, so I pick up on my environment. So this is something that we need to look at how we can create our in our environment more stability, that what is within our control rather than what isn't. But it's about acknowledging at the same time, you know, I do feel this lack of like stability. I, I worry about Bonnie growing up and what the world is going to look like and blah, 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 blah. And what it is now, I see beneath the surface, put it that way. A big one for me is generational disconnection with emotional safety. And I think what can happen and reflection is your best friend. So journal on this. But when you've been in that dark space, when you feel messy, complicated and afraid, whether that is to do with your hormonal cycle or whether it's to do with exhaustion or whatever it is for you, overwhelm. What I found for me is I tend to behave in the same behavior that I adopted when I was young to cope. So it's almost like you regress back to that inner child. And when I was talking about more working about at the cause than the effect, I mean that we're going back to when we first felt unsafe or we didn't have that stability because we're talking about how our nervous system has learnt over the years to be how it is now. And this for me takes me back beyond me. This is going back intergenerationally. And knowing that is powerful, that it's not just you you're a product of your lineage of your history of your generational line and I find this fascinating so what we tend to do is we tend to respond from that place and for me there's a significant part in my life that I was actually just reflecting on that when I started my period when I was I think I was 14 I actually hid it so I didn't 
open up and I didn't share it and talk about it with my parents, with my mum. You put everything on your mum, don't you really? But <laughs> I didn't share it with anyone. So I hid it. So if I think about behaviors around that, that I was hiding my menstrual cycle, I was suppressing, I was self-silencing. And I was obviously creating some shame because why couldn't I share it? And I told myself a story that I just need to keep quiet and work it out for myself. It's not okay to talk about that or whatever. And that you just keep going. That actually makes me feel stressed talking about it. And I can feel it in my solar plexus, which is where I tend to hold a lot of emotion. Get out. Um, So, and this is just my experience. You might, if you're someone else that's listening, going, no, that's not what PMDD is at all, or that's not true. I think there is a huge, when I talk about trauma, I'm talking about the severing of an emotional connection that makes you feel safe because we're talking about the nervous system. And I think that doing that is almost like you're denying your womanhood, you're suppressing it, you're hiding it, you're shameful of it. So whatever is pushed down for me needs to come back up. And I wonder whether that was the start of these big undulations or changes, fluctuations. Um, It's just a thought for me. I like thinking like this. Did I teach my body that it wasn't safe to have a period? don't know. Another thing that I think is important, I've mentioned it before, and I actually at, at some point would love to have my mum on here. I think it would do her good. She might not like that. I will ask her. And she is an ally of mine. She is a supporter, and she's a supporter of me doing this work. But in her story is very much rooted or part of it. It's not her whole story at all um, in suicide. So there is suicide in our family line. And I think like Julia Samuel so eloquently describes it as suicide is like a cluster bomb until we actually remove the shards and the shards just kind of go out into everyone involved until we look at the wounds and remove the shards and start to heal, that it just stays kind of stuck and deeply wounded into us. And I know that is true. I feel that. And I think to understand how that story has impacted my mum and the person that I have come from, these things start to make more sense. And we'll talk about transgenerational trauma probably lots in lots of little bits. And, you know, so what I'm working on personally, because you might be thinking, what the fuck has this got to do with your monthly cycle? A lot. Um, (laughs) A lot. What has taught my nervous system to behave in the way that it does And what has been the kind of mediators, the contributing factors? So you almost make the bed and then you kind of add bits to it. So as I've gone through life with these kind of foundations or learned behaviors, beliefs, values, which have then imprinted on my nervous system, then the stories that I've told myself and my life experiences and my growing up and adolescence would have all um, kind of 
impacted or validated that. So what I'm working on is this kind of idea of post-traumatic growth and healing rather than just calling it post-traumatic or trauma or transgenerational trauma, sorry, not post-traumatic trauma, post-traumatic growth. So for a big part of my journey, it was looking at me and self-care. And that came after having Bonnie, where it had to be. Because all this stuff that I didn't know about started to bubble up. So I went on this kind of self-discovery mission. And that was about the self. Now I feel like I'm in a transition period where it's about relationships. How can I take that new understanding and insight, put boundaries around it and function with other people? You start to know who you want to be around, who you don't. But also it's about becoming less affected by our family. Like how do we love them and let them be who they are without regressing back to the past and that younger self. And it's almost letting the grief come in, allowing the grief for what you didn't have coexist with the acceptance of how things actually are now and being able to let some love in with boundaries that allow you to love yourself and them mutually, not at the expense of your peace or energy. And I think that is not easy. That takes commitment. It takes showing up when you don't feel like it. It takes having messy, complicated, hard, but loving conversations. But the goal is is to find a way to relate and to have that bond and connection with a whole load of acceptance. It's letting everything be true in that moment, away from blame and shame, that you can tell your truth, you can be who you are, that's okay, you were hurt. And at the same time, allowing the kind of mass to come down and the armor to come down so that you can love in a way that works for both of you and I hope that 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 it's less intense that there can be some calm around it and I hope that that kind of makes sense (laughs) my voice has slowed right down and I, I always just say that if the pain is deep we'll have to let go of it many times and as you grow and as you evolve and as your children grow and evolve you know they will trigger and bring up unhealed parts of you, unnurtured parts of you. And if we start to look at this through the lens of growth, that we're always healing, we're never going to be perfectly healed. Going back to my point about waiting to show up until we're perfectly healed, that's just not a thing, that we're always growing. Our kids are always growing. That's what they do best. But what I can say is that the more insight and the more you understand yourself, and you understand the root cause, you understand the contributing factors, you understand your role in a situation and that you do have the power to change your physiology, your hormone cycles, your nervous system regulation. It just takes a massive commitment in honoring yourself daily. And for me, it's looking at it as a skill to learn or a craft to master, not a magic bullet that we're just going to do the thing and and it's going to all be fine. Especially when it comes to relationships that we need to keep moving in. If they're worth it, we need to keep moving in. 
So let me just quickly say this. If you seem turning red, um, you will get this. If you haven't, I'm going to ruin it for you. Pause, go watch it. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, turning Red is obviously a film about adolescence and growing up and the complexities of growing up and change and all this stuff. But it's also, if you are like me, about timeline. If you're an NLP practitioner, it's all about timeline. But it's about intergenerational trauma. And the mum's panda, Malin Lee's panda, mum, her panda was massive, wasn't it? And I think it was so big and so angry because she was holding on to her pain. She was holding on to her pain for so many years. She believed that she disappointed, she let down, she hurt her mother um, because she couldn't hold herself up to the perceived expectations of her mum and be that perfect daughter so she didn't feel good enough and you saw at the end where she's kind of they're in the woods they're in the forest when their pandas have gone up and Malin Lee says I know it feels that way all the time but it isn't true and you may have seen that she takes her hand and she walks her back so she sees her a child and it is really seeing that inner child where it all came from and this really allows for compassion and she took her hand and she walked her back through her timeline through her story and she was able to show her that it it wasn't true because look at her daughter look at all that she has all that she is what she's achieved and at the end she feels strong enough to apologize to her mother where she probably hasn't been able to get those vulnerable words out before And her mother says, you don't need to apologize because I'm your mother. And she makes peace with her past. And when she makes peace with her past, she lets go of her big panda. And I find this so interesting that sometimes we do need to release parts of ourselves. But you will see that she actually held on to it in her necklace and Malin Lee decided to hold on to her panda. I see Malin Lee as the cycle breaker, that she was able to offer her mum the truth and some liberation and, and validation, understanding there was healing there so that she could release her panda and then Malin Lee was able to integrate the parts of herself that might be a bit different, that might be a bit out there and quirky, but she wanted to hold on to those parts because she was in an environment that was supportive, that was understanding. She had her friends. She now had that relationship with her mum and she felt safe to be able to do that. And she transformed her pain and into something much more positive and integrated it as one of her greatest resources, her red panda. So just to come to the end then, And I'm going to try and summarize this all up. (laughs) Are you? Um, We're going from Winnie the Pooh to turning red. That sometimes we just need to show up for ourselves. And I think we need to look at the symptoms and what's going on in our life and give ourselves time just to be curious about that. I also think that it's really important to have that context of your environment, what's going on in your life, your career, 
parenting? What are the challenges in your home environment? What are you trying to do each day? It's really important to give yourself some context, but also look at how far you've come and where you've come from. And that actually this is important. That's why you care so much. I also think it's good to reflect and look at patterns that patterns repeat but the past doesn't that you're able to separate the past in these patterns okay at one point maybe that was the behavior that helped you cope with something hard and maybe right now you don't need that that needs updating you can release that it's being able to look at what's going on in the body as well And to understand that the body keeps the score, that the body is just responding to everything it has been fed over the years, all the imprinting, all the beliefs, the mindset, the values. And that actually we do have the power to reconnect with our bodies and to look at it through that different lens as well. How can we bring our body back into balance, whether that's through food, functional medicine, testing, supplements, exercise. There's so many different tools out there. But ultimately, it's that belief that you can do that. It's not about not accepting who you are and maybe some of these, however you see them as labels or conditions, but it's about looking at the symptoms and, okay, how can I improve that? And it's looking at you as a person and trying to evolve as a person and grow as a person, improve your health and your relationships, not just fix a problem. And I think that's a really nice mindset to have. And the importance of environment, if Tigger was allowed to just be in the woods all the time, probably be okay. For me, I know that I'm not living in the environment I want to be in. So make it your vision. Allow yourself to dream. Use dreaming as a form of planning that actually when you start to improve your health, these things feel more possible. One day I want to live in a field. I do want to live in the woods like Tigger. Why should we keep ourselves in a box that doesn't fit who we are? Yes, we'll get stuck in the how, money and circumstances and blah, blah, blah. But for a minute, just take, get out of the how, get into the now. (laughs) That's cheesy. And allow yourself to create that environment. What does it look like? Another really important thing is to journal. I I track my cycle. So I think this is a 101, like it's a foundational thing if you are a woman, to track your cycle, whether you're having periods or not. Track your mood, track how you're feeling, do it in alignment with the the moon, but get some handle on patterns over the course of a month. Women are attuned to a 28 day cycle when men more 24 hours. So we need to plan um, our life and our schedule around that much more than just try and cram our whole life into one 24 hour period. And you know what? We will ebb and flow. We're supposed to. And I'm actually just grappling, not grappling with that, but accepting that there are going to be parts of my cycle where I want to be on my own. I need my space and I need some rest or I need to do exercise. And it's how we know that and ask for it and give ourselves permission. Yes, we don't want to be in a big, dark, despairing hole in the woods, like eat or feeling like eat or. It's knowing your baseline. It's knowing what's okay, what's not okay. And it's honoring your cycle. So track it. Journal. When you have to show up, when you feel like shit, 
having a journal of a record of when you were feeling your best or you were feeling good or you were feeling at 70% rather than 30 is going to be evidence that you it's not bad all the time. I think this is so important. And when you write down when things are going well, write down what happened, what came before it, what was going on in your environment. The next thing I think is, again, it's just reiterating acceptance that this is not going back. It doesn't mean that you're undoing all your good work or that you're just looping around the survival, that it's all shit. For me, there's a lesson in everything and we need to accept what's going on in the moment and then look at things afterwards. Okay, so I've come this far. What could I be doing now? Maybe I needed to give myself that day and almost just have a non-day where there's no pressure on myself. And that to me is success. Not try and record a fucking podcast for eight hours. Um, <laughs> and it's having the confidence and the, the awareness to ask for that. The other thing that I haven't talked about, and I'll just, you know, finish up on this, is we need an ally, and I'm always aware when I talk about having a partner or a husband, whatever, that I'm going to be speaking to people that are in different dynamics. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be attracting people, I don't know, um, have similar lifestyles to me. I know I'm not for everyone. But I just want to say that we need an ally. We need someone who can hold that space, who can listen, who can validate you and help you feel a bit more understood when you don't. And also a cheerleader to say it's going to be okay. And they can show you the evidence from your diary. They can show you that this is a cycle. It's a pattern that you're in the process of changing. And I'm here with you. And I think having a conversation with someone so that they almost are aware of what you need. This is how I need you to show up for me. Sometimes we need to be really clear on that. You know, husbands, partners are not mind readers, that we need to be clear that this is going to help me. I need you to do this. You want it to be sincere. You don't want it to be like a scripted robot, but give them time because you need to give yourself time too. that this is a process. And it's a process of how we come together in a relationship during hard times when we're not always going to be showing up in our best self, when we're showing up messy, complicated, and afraid. But learning to be each other's anchors and understanding each other's love languages and how we can best support each other is going to help and what environment is needed and asking for that. Okay, we haven't talked about, I also stick myself in a cold shower and do my best to reduce inflammation, but we can talk about that another time. Go easy on that, by the way, with a cold shower. I've been doing it for like four months now. Um, but to begin with, if you feel low resilience emotionally and physically, you're not going to tolerate the cold very well, but it's been my saving grace. Um, so I'm just going to finish. I don't know how long this is anyway. Annie of the 26th of July, 2022, I will come back to you. Um, okay, so this is one of my favorite quotes by Theodore Roosevelt and obviously Brené Brown has used it in her book, um, Daring Greatly, but it goes like this. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, 
who come short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, I Tigger, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, like being a mum, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, really stepping into your power, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails whilst daring greatly. I love that because we are showing up. We are putting ourselves in the arena and we're teaching our kids the resources needed to show up as well. So I hope that has been helpful and not too long and not too depressing. I'm going to go and find my Tigger after day 28, so next week. Um, (laughs) And please let me know if this has resonated. Let me know if you want to know more about something that I spoke about. If you have any questions, drop into my DMs. I love it. And I will see you next week. We did it! Woohoo! I'm not editing any of this. Okay, bye!